Colossians chapter 1, still discussing my church. And I want to begin to get into the purpose of his church. And we just read out of Luke 14 while you're turning there to Colossians 1. In Luke chapter 4, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. It's amazing that even Jesus, the Son of, the Son of God, recognized, I can't do what I'm doing without the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to, uh, because he has anointed me, to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. What I want to identify this morning is the state of every person ever created on this planet, uh, except for Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve eventually fell into this. But I want to look at what, because of what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden, what all of us are born into. Every single person in this room, every single, doesn't matter if you're a billionaire or if you're living under a bridge, doesn't matter uh, if you were born in the 1300s, 1800s, right here, or if you're going to be born later on. Everyone born and placed on this earth is brought into a system and an order that is not the way that it used to be. It's not the way that God intended it. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, Paul identifies this, and he says, He, Jesus, has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He has delivered us, delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Every single person on this planet was in need of one thing, a Savior. A Savior who could save us and deliver us. We were all born into darkness. We were born and placed into the rule and authority of somebody other than God, and that was the devil. Every single person on the planet. We know that when... Uh, especially here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, uh, Paul is speaking of salvation. And when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you are redeemed from your sins, but you are pulled, redeemed, delivered, transferred from a kingdom of darkness and brought into a kingdom of light. This is what every person goes through when you receive salvation. There's not one person born on this planet that is born into God's kingdom. Nobody. We were all in need of being transferred out of darkness into light. Now, this word deliverance, because this is what everybody needs is deliverance, it has the connotation of being rescued, being transferred. It carries the connotation of movement from one place to another. Okay? And it has the ability of freedom and liberty. We were all trapped. We're all bound. We were all in a, a state of being in slavery to the enemy, to the devil, to sin. What does that mean? That means that he was the one, he was your God, he was your ruler, he was your controller. I was, uh, you know, I grew up in church, I was raised in church, but 
um, that doesn't mean that I was automatically born into God's kingdom. That just means I came into the knowledge of some things uh, at an early age. But I still had to be transferred. Every baby that comes out screaming out of their mother's womb in every hospital and every place that they're born, they are born into sin and into darkness. Didn't take long for my son to begin to figure out what not to do and to do the wrong thing. I didn't have to teach him to disobey me. I know I had to teach him to obey. I had to teach him principles and the right way to do things. He already knows how to do it the wrong way. Didn't have to teach him. Didn't have to go to school to learn that. Didn't have to have a course in that. There's some parents, they want to you know, show it to their kids a little more than others. And you know, I don't want them to learn how to do this and, and learn how to do that. But that, that will not keep them from sinning and living according to their God, their ruler, the devil. The only thing that changes that is you receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior, believing that he came, died on the cross for your sins, rose again. That's how you accept Jesus into your heart. That's how you make him your Lord, your Savior, and you come into his kingdom. What's taking place is you're being transferred from one kingdom to another. Well, this is interesting because in that verse that we read from Jesus in Luke chapter 4, he's actually quoting a verse out of Isaiah. It's actually, he's actually fulfilling a prophecy that came out of Isaiah. And Isaiah was talking about the, his, God's people, the Israelites, who had just gone into exile into Babylon. Now, we already know that God's people had already come out of slavery from one nation, the Egyptians. They came out and they came into the promised land, but they fell into this cycle of always going back to sinning and found themselves always disobeying God and going after other gods and going after other idols. And they were moved by things in the world rather than changing the things of the world. So they go through all these kings and they go through all these judges. They go through all these prophets and they kill the prophets. They hate the prophets. They don't want to hear from Jeremiah and Jonah and Isaiah and Malachi and, 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 and Joel. They don't want to hear from those guys. God is sending people to them to say, look, turn from your wicked ways. Repent from your sins. Come back to God. Well, they don't. And so God allows their enemies to overtake them. And finally, this great nation called Babylon rises up. They were the greatest nation. They were greater than, they were ten times greater than what the United States is today. Very powerful nation. Had the wisest people in the land. Had the greatest economic system. Had the greatest military. This is, this is a strong, rising, powerful nation. And they come and they take the Israelites. If you know about Daniel... Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they were part of that exile from Israel to Babylon. And Isaiah gave this prophecy that someone would come and deliver them and would heal the brokenhearted, would preach the gospel to the poor, would restore sight to the blind. He's talking about a transfer from one nation, Babylon, back to God's nation. And that's what Paul's talking about here in Colossians chapter 1. 
He's referring to every single person on the planet that is born in darkness, born in sin, born under the rule and control of the devil. And when you make Jesus your Lord, you are transferred from that kingdom to his kingdom. You've now gone from making the devil your God to making God your king. And now he dictates your life. Now you live according to his rules and his principles. So every single person is in need of a savior. Every single person is in need of deliverance. So now look over at John chapter 8, because the question I have for you today is, what sets people free? And most of us churched people would say, well, salvation. You got to receive salvation. Salvation is what sets people free. Becoming saved. But I want to take it another level because we're talking about the purpose of the church. We're identifying what the church's purpose. And again, let me just, for reiteration, how many of you, this stuff is, is starting to sink in a little bit. You're starting to understand that he's building his church and I have to be connected to the head and we have to be connected to each other. You know why? It's because we've spent weeks here, weeks reiterating, studying, reminding, going back over. Paul said many times, I, I want to keep you in remembrance. And so we're reiterating things, and it's starting to sink in where when I start giving my opening and say, so we're talking about my church, you already know what I'm about to say. You already know where I'm going. See, this is what is done in school. This is what is done. When, when I went to Bible school, I had an instructor that he would always start the class with the same phrase, the same sentence, depending on what class it was. And so we knew, and he knew, and we had class Tuesdays and Thursdays, every Tuesday and Thursday, his class. Went to school all week long, but his class was every Tuesday and Thursday. And we knew Tuesday morning or Thursday morning when we got in his class, we knew what he was going to get up and say, and we knew by about week four, week five, he wanted us to finish the sentence. He didn't want to say the whole thing. And he'd get upset if he would say it and then stop and then no one would answer. He's like, it was just two days ago. We just talked about this. What, what's he trying to do? Reiteration. Memory. It's called meditating. God said, if you want your way to be successful and prosperous, meditate on my word day and night. Get in it. Study it. Reiterate it. Remind yourself of it. So that's what we've been doing. And so when I say church, the word church, I'm talking about what Jesus meant when he said church, not what we think of. Because again, when we say church, and I hope your mind is starting to shift here a little bit, I'm not talking about this building. I'm not talking about what we do on Sunday mornings at 1030 and Wednesday nights at 7 and, and come to church. No, I'm talking about being the church. The church is a people. The church is you and I. So when I say the purpose of the church, I'm not, I don't mean the purpose of us meeting here Sundays at 1030 is, that's not what we're talking about today. No, I, when I say what is the purpose of the church, I'm saying what is your purpose in the kingdom of God? That's what I'm referring to. And so we have taken this road recently that the church's purpose is to win the lost. The church's purpose is to get people saved, born again. That's the purpose of the church. 
But the problem is, is when people make that statement, they have tied that to this thing that we do. Now, I'm not going to argue the fact that the purpose of the church is to win the lost. I'm going to show you how to do that. But that's our purpose individually. See, there's a difference between the purpose of the church and the purpose of church services. You follow me? There's a difference between the purpose of church, you and I, what we're supposed to be doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. (laughs) And there's a difference between that and what we do on Wednesday night and Sunday morning. It is our purpose Monday through Friday to win the lost. It is the purpose of this institution, this assembly on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings to instruct and grow up believers. If we gear our church services around winning the lost and never grow people up and never teach them how to do and how to be, we are missing the purpose of a church service. But at the same time, if us as believers, if we think our only purpose in life is just to grow, 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 and feed on the word, feed on the word, feed on the word, find out who I am, find out what I'm supposed to do, and then never witness to anybody, now we've missed our purpose. Now we've missed the purpose of the church. So I've got to make that clear. I've got to bring clarity, because when I talk about the purpose of the church this morning, I'm talking about our purpose Monday through Friday. The purpose of Sunday morning and Wednesday night is to build you up so you can do your purpose Monday through Friday. Okay? So, purpose of the church. We've made it about winning the lost. But I'm going to show you here this morning that it's actually a little deeper than that. What sets people free? John chapter 8, verse 32. John chapter 8, verse 32. A, a popular passage. And Jesus is speaking, he says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He doesn't say the cross will make you free. He doesn't say my death, burial, and resurrection will make you free. He doesn't say salvation will make you free. He says, and the truth will make you free. The truth is what is going to set people free. This deliverance that we're talking about, this rescue, this transfer, this movement from one kingdom to another, this liberty and this freedom is a result of truth. Now, salvation is is a part of the truth. Salvation is a truth. But if we only make it about winning souls and becoming born again, then we're not grasping the whole of it. And we're missing the whole purpose. Truth is why we are here. Truth is ought to be the church's number one priority, is the truth. So we've got to know truth. 
If we go on in that passage, it says, They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? He's talking to the Pharisees here, and you know they're saying, We're already of God. We're not in bondage. We're not bound by anything. But Jesus is about to identify something. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Our goal as a church, our purpose as a church, as individuals, is to bring freedom to people's lives. Is to set people free. Is to... Bring them out of bondage to bring liberty, to set to liberty the captives, those that are bound, those that are enslaved by something. Jesus says here that if you sin, if you make a life of practicing and a habitual lifestyle of sin, then you are bound to sin. Go on down to verse 44. Skip on down to verse 44. He says, you are of the father of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. What are people bound in? What are people bound? And watch this. This covers everybody. I don't have to go uh, uh, find out what an individual's lifestyle is. Oh, they were bound by alcohol. Or or they were bound by drugs. Or they were bound by homosexuality. Or they were bound by uh, sexual promiscuity. Or they're, they're bound by hatred. Or they're bound by anger. No, I can put it all under one umbrella. You are of your father, the devil. In him there is no truth. What's the opposite of truth? A lie. Before you come into God's kingdom, you are living a lie. You're living a lie. So how do you get someone out of bondage that's living a lie? You bring them freedom by showing up with truth. The way you correct a lie is bring the truth. Every person in the world, you and I, before we came to know Jesus, before we came into the kingdom, we were living a lie. Our father, our God, our ruler was the devil and in him is no truth. He is the father of lies. That's all he can do is lie. But here's the problem. You become bound when you accept a lie as truth. See, there are people right now that are bound in homosexuality because they are living a lie believing that the lie of homosexuality is really a truth for them. And it's not. It's not a truth. And we'll identify truth here in a minute. It's not truth. 
That's a lie. You are believing a lie as truth. So we are surrounded by a world. We're in the world and not of it. We are in a world that's living a lie. Their father is a liar. And what does a father do? A father produces offspring, but he only produces after his kind. So a father can't a father of lies can't produce children of truth. So what what do we need? We have to be transferred, delivered, rescued, conveyed, moved from a kingdom of lies to a kingdom of truth. Our position as the church is to bear witness to truth, is to bring truth. So watch this. The devil keeps people bound by keeping them blind. The Bible has a direct connection between a lie, darkness, and blindness. A lie, darkness, blindness. But it also has the same connection to truth, light. What did I say? I said, I said, uh, lie, darkness, blindness, truth, light, and sight. Whenever you see truth, whenever you see light, whenever you see sight, they're all connected. So we bring truth. That means we're flipping on the light and we're bringing people sight. What did Jesus say? He said, I have come to restore sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are captive. What were they bound by? What were they held captive by? A lie. A lie. When you believe a lie as truth, you are bound to that. When you believe a lie as truth in your life, you are bound by that lie. That lie now controls you. That lie now calls the shots. So what's the goal? Bring truth, which flips on the light and gives people sight. So the devil keeps people bound by keeping them blind. Look at John chapter 3. John chapter 3. This is a very famous passage. You guys can quote verse 16. We'll start there in verse 16. We could probably bring the kids next door and, and they could quote it too. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Look at what Jesus is saying. He's talking about himself. He says, I am here not to condemn the world, not to sentence them, but to save them. See, it's one thing to come down, and could Jesus have done that as a king? Could he condemn and say, this is how you're living and this is your sentence? Sure. But he came not to just come here and say, 
you've missed it, you've messed up, and now you're going to burn in hell for the rest of your lives. He says, no, you've missed it, you messed up, here's the price you should have to pay, but I'm going to take the price for you. I'm going to save you. Now, all you have to do is go back to verse 16 and believe in me and you will be saved. I've come to make a way of salvation. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Now watch. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Watch this. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Jesus came to flip the light on. He said, I have come to get people out of captivity. I have come to free those that are bound in sin, in darkness, in a lie. See, when you live a lie, then you're only able to do what the lie tells you to do. But when you find the truth, now you have the opportunity to do truth, come into the light, and receive your sight. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you want to be saved? You want to be delivered? Accept the truth. Live the truth. Let the truth identify all the lies in your life. And now you can be free from the lie, live according to the truth, and you'll be free. You'll be in liberty is what he's saying here. So the devil keeps people bound by keeping them blind, keeping them in darkness, keeping them in a living lie. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4 and verse 17 says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you shall no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, as the rest of the world walks, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. The world does what they do because they are blind and they are in darkness and they're living a lie. That's what the world does because they are of their father, the devil, who is a father of lies. So they are only doing what they see their father do. They live in sin because their father is a liar uh, 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 and he's the father of lies. And so they're only able to reproduce what they see their father doing. So how do we free these people? How do we deliver these people? Go up just a little bit further in Ephesians chapter 4 and go to verse 14. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, 
doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love. I think there's a lot of churches that have sharpied that right out of their Bible. Instead of using a highlighter, they use the sharpie and they have just erased it. Speaking the truth in love. We may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. The purpose of the church, part of what we're called to do, is to speak truth in love. What are we doing when we speak truth? Turning the light on. Turning the light on. And I'm going to show you what it looks like to speak truth in love because that's the other part the church has lost. We, you see, the church, we're, we're, we're like, we're, we're, we're good at 99 things and we get one important thing wrong. The church gets either all the way on one side or all the way on the other. We either don't want to confront truth at all and don't bring truth to anybody and just say you know what don't worry about it god's merciful god's gracious he's got you covered or we come all the way to the other side saying truth and and, and there's no grace there's no mercy there's no love you're gonna die and go to hell you're horrible let me put a sign together and picket your abortion clinic all day long let me put a sign that says uh you know you're going to be like Sodom and Gomorrah and you're a homosexual and God hates you and God hates gay people and, and God hates fags and, and let's just make all these signs. And we don't know how to find the middle of the road for nothing. We don't know how to rightly divide the word of truth. Yes, there's a speaking of truth, but there's a speaking of truth in love. Let me help you. When you speak the truth in love, it's for their sake, not your sake. Go to 1 Corinthians 13. Not right now, but write it down. Homework assignment. 1 Corinthians 13. Read that chapter. Look at what love says. And it has nothing to do with you. Nothing. Love covers another. Love thinks of others before you think of yourself. Love has other people's interests at heart. Here's what the church does when we do speak truth. We identify how we're right and they're wrong. Look at the Pharisees. Father, I thank you that I'm not like that hypocrite over on the corner, that tax collector. He's just, he's lost, he's a sinner, but I pray to you, Two times a day, I fast three times a week. Look at how righteous and holy I am. No care, no interest, no concern for the person across the street. Thank God I'm not like them. But when you speak the truth in love, speaking the truth in love, has a care and concern to see the other person get right, not prove that you're right. The position of love 
is I want to see you get it right, not I'm going to prove that I'm right. That's not love. You can always identify love by is it focused on me or is it focused on them? Jesus. He says in Ephesians, husbands, love your wives, wives like Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He gave his life for the church. He said, I'm putting myself down so you can get it right. How many Christians will do that? How many believers will do that? Confront so you can get it right. I don't care about myself. It's not about me. There's so many Christians that just want to identify other people's faults so they can prove that they're right. And really, they're wrong in doing that. I'm going to tell you right now, this nation, there are things that are going on today that there are things that are identifiable, that they are breaking biblical standards. But what's going to hurt the church even more is when we break the standard of love and we don't know how to confront and we don't know how to operate properly. But love is not a doormat. Love doesn't just let people do whatever they want to do. Love says, I care for you so much, I don't want to continue to see you go down that road. We use the example many times. If I love my son, and he's headed for a busy highway full of traffic, love will call out and say, no, don't keep going that way. Stop. Turn around. Come back. Yet for some reason we identify in the world today that love is, man, hey, we're all individuals. We're all different. If you love, uh, 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 you know, if you love the opposite sex, that's great. You know, I, I love the same sex. You know, we're all individuals. We're just, if you love me, you'll just let me do what I want to do. Love doesn't lay down. Love doesn't back down. Love is not a doormat. Love will confront. Truth hurts. Love hurts. But they both heal if they're properly acted upon. Look, you're bound. You're captive. You're living in captivity to what you're doing. I'm not here to point out that I'm right, you're wrong. I'm here to point out that I had to get right at one point. You got to get right at one point so we can get unbound from this thing that's got us enslaved. Your lifestyle, the way you're going. See, the church has to learn how to confront. I mean, you know, I've told y'all before, I saw a study once that uh, said that the United States and I don't know what they are today. This was several months ago. The United States was 50% on homosexuality. 
and homosexual relationships. We were split right down the middle, whether it's right or whether it's wrong. Then the same study was done in the church. <laughs> in the church. In a church. In some churches. I don't know about the church. Definitely not his church. Because his church, there's no split. His church, it's 100% on this side and 0% on this side. But churches in America, 50-50, right down the middle. <laughs> we're right there with the rest of the world, man. We're, we're just as confused as they are. So how are we going to confront an issue? And I'll tell you, confrontation is necessary because without confrontation, you get compromise. That's why we got 50-50. Well, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but hey, you know. I'll let you do your thing. I'll let, my, let me do my thing. There was a minister up in, I don't know, it was a northern state, Minnesota or maybe North Dakota, somewhere around there, that they asked her about homosexuals in his, in his church. Oh, yeah, we accept them all. You know, God loves everybody. We, we've all sinned. We're all doing different things. So we're not going to confront it. This person's headed, this person's car is sitting on the railroad tracks with a train coming to smash the mess out of them. And we're not going to say anything. We're not going to find out what the Bible says. Why do we need to find out what the Bible says? John chapter 17, verse 17. Jesus says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. How do you get people out of bondage? Give them the word. What does the word say about it? The church has become very opinionated. The church has become very American-minded. We have individuals. We have opinions. It could be this way or it could be that way. And the things that we allow in the process, we are losing people's lives at the expense of trying to keep them in a chair. Look, they don't get to take this chair with them when they die. And they can sit in your service and have their spot and have their, their seat. But one day they're going to have to stand before a judge. One day we're all going to stand before a judge who's going to judge based upon our righteousness, based upon our ability to stay true to this right here. Not to some church's standards, not to what some pastor said. Well, they let me keep going. They never said anything about it. No, you will have a right and responsibility to know this. We are bearers of truth. John chapter 18 title of this message, by the way, is for this cause. For this cause. Why are we here? Why is the church here? How are we going to be a light in the world? How are we going to be salt in the earth? I'm identifying to you today the number one priority of the church, and that is to bear witness of the truth. John chapter 18, verse 33, Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews. Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? 
Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. For this cause I have come into the world to die on a cross and give people salvation. To rise again and give people access to heaven. To set people free from their sins and to keep them from dying and burning in in hell. No. It says, for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Jesus came to bear witness to truth. He said, I have come, I have been anointed to preach the gospel to the poor to set at liberty the captives, to restore sight to the blind. I have come to bring truth because there are people in the world that are living a lie, and if I can bring truth, they will become free from the slavery of darkness, the slavery of sin, the slavery of of knowing and living a lie. I've come to bring freedom by bringing truth. Jesus' priority in his ministry was to bring truth. In fact, John chapter 1, verse 14, it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son, full of grace and truth. He was full of truth. Now, if Jesus was full of truth, If Jesus can make a statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and we are the body of Christ, we are Jesus in the earth, then shouldn't the church be full of truth? Shouldn't the church be the way, the truth, and the life? And again, not this building, but when you show up at work, you should be able to show up as a way, and as truth, and as life. When you're walking through Target and Walmart, you should be able to show up as a way, as truth, and as life. Everybody in the world is living a lie. And we have the truth that will set them free. People are bound by their blindness. People are bound. And Jesus said that in John chapter 3, verse uh, you know, verse 16, 17, 18, he said that they will see the truth and they will hate the truth. They don't want the truth. They don't want the light. John, uh, it, it, at the very beginning of John chapter 1, said that the light came into the earth and the earth didn't comprehend it. The earth didn't know it. The world didn't know it. They didn't, even, they didn't even understand that the thing that could set them free was right there in the midst of them. Because we have truth that brings freedom. 
the number one purpose of the church is not to win the lost. It's to bring truth. What good is it if I only bring truth that you need a Savior and so you don't die and go to hell and that one day you can die and go to heaven if I don't give you any more truth beyond that? Our lives should be a continuation and a process and continual progress in truth. Paul told Timothy, he said, you need to learn to rightly divide the word of truth. Study to show yourself approved. Rightly dividing the word of truth. That means that you can wrongly divide the word of truth. That means that there could be a word of lies. What is the greatest way to stay away from a lie? Stay close to the truth. The greatest way for you to keep from believing a lie, living a lie, is stay close to truth. I mean, if the church is supposed to be connected to the head, and the head is Jesus, who is the word, so the church is supposed to be connected to the word, then it seems to me that the church should be able to identify the difference between a lie and truth. Here's what, a, here's what truth does. Truth brings clarity. Because look, every lie is first grounded in truth. You can't tell a lie unless there's a truth. Satan couldn't show up and lie to Eve and say, if you eat it, you will not surely die, unless God said, if you eat it, you will surely die. What did the devil do? He took a truth and he twisted it. Well, the devil did the same thing with Jesus in the wilderness when he was being tempted. He took a truth, twisted it, and made it a lie. But how did Jesus respond every time? Came back with the truth, the word. He says, I got, I got the real truth. And the truth brings clarity. Anybody here ever believe something that was a lie and then you found out, whoa, that's not even true? When the truth showed up, has that ever happened to anybody? Maybe you believe something about another person because someone told you. Hey, did you hear about this person and such and such? And, and then you talk to the person and you find out that wasn't even a true statement. You were believing a lie, but then when the truth showed up, it brought clarity. It turned the light on. It identified, whoa, that's a lie. That's what we get to do every day. Not just Sunday morning. Not just Wednesday nights. Every day of our lives, the church should be identifying truth and correcting lies. Hey, that, that's a lie. You're living a lie. Here's the truth. And it's not to prove that I'm right. It's to help get you right. The church has got to become more focused on the world that is dying and falling away and reveal truth so they can turn from a lie. So they can get out of bondage. So they can become delivered. So they can be 
set free. One of the greatest warnings that Jesus gave, Paul gave, Peter gave, was a warning against false teachers. They all said in the last days, false teachers will come. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Paul is speaking to Timothy, and he's giving him this warning. And he says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Why does he need to be so careful to rightly divide the word of truth? He says, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Paul identifies here to Timothy that there's two men that are running around that have gotten away from the truth. They haven't remained close to the truth and have become false teachers because false is the opposite of true. If you're not preaching truth, then you're preaching something false. If you're not preaching what's true, then you're preaching what's a lie. For us as believers, it's not only important to identify the lies of the world, but sometimes we have to identify the lies right within the church. Because how does the enemy work? With lies. He's the father of lies. All he can do is lie. But remember, a lie is always first based in truth. The greatest way you can identify a lie is to find the truth. A church that doesn't stay connected to this will eventually end up living a lie. And the problem with living a lie and believing a lie is truth is you think that's truth. And that's what the word calls being deceived. Living in deception. Deceived people are the hardest to work with. Jesus had this issue. Jesus had no problem with sin and sickness. He had no problem with dead people. He had no problem with storms that were about to shipwreck them and kill them. He had no problem with fig trees. He had no problem with demon-possessed people. But the one thing he could not overcome was deception. He had no control over it. Because deceived people are deceived. And they think that what they believe in how they're living is truth. They have accepted a lie as truth. This is the other danger of lies. The only way the enemy works, his real only weapon that he has is to take the truth, twist it, and make it a lie. He's been doing it since day one. He's been doing it since Adam and Eve. So now he gets in the church because no weapon formed against the church will prosper. But if he can get us away from this, you become deceived and you believe a lie as truth because this is no longer around to bring clarity and identify a lie. 
How do you help deceive people? The only thing you can do is go to the Word and identify the lies. Because now they're bound. But even Jesus said that the light will come, the truth will come, and they'll hate it because of their evil works. Because of what they're doing. Because of how they're living. See, truth is identifiable. Truth has actions to it. Several years ago, we had, I guess what you would call a fallout with some members down in the church in St. Augustine, down in Florida, who became deceived, didn't want to stay near the word. And at first, I mean, these are people that were serving. These are people that were in leadership. These are people that were putting their hand to something. So on the outside, you don't really, you don't really understand why they're doing what they're doing, but they're definitely taking a position against the church. Any of you that have been in church or in churches for any amount of time, you've probably seen this take place. It happened with Jesus. It happened with God. It happened with Paul. It happened with Timothy. Why is Paul having to call out two people in a letter? Because they have strayed away from the faith. But here's the thing. Is sometimes the actions aren't always, they still seem like good people. They still seem like people that love God. They still seem like people that, but what's going on? And I told my wife, I said, time. Time is the only thing that will identify this. It may not be evident today what they're doing. It might not be evident, but over time. I remember uh, a friend of mine down there, he was going to go and, and, and meet with one of the guys that left because they had a real close relationship and, and, and the guy wanted to have lunch probably to try to sow some stuff into, uh, into him about the leadership. And I told him, I said, let him do all the talking. Let him do all the talking. Just sit there. And the funny part is, is that the other guy was someone that didn't really talk a whole lot. But it was amazing how much talking he wanted to do in that conversation. How much control of that conversation he wanted to have. But I told him, I said, you let him do the talking. And right now, you may be trying to identify what about him isn't lining up, what's wrong. But I said, I promise you, by the end of that lunch, you'll, you'll know. He will bury himself. He will dig his own grave because he's going to say something, and he's going to talk too much, and it's, it's going to become identifiable. By, by the time you drive away from that restaurant, you'll realize, yep, he's lost. He's deceived. Don't try to correct him. Don't, don't do the talking and, and try to find out what's going on. And, and let him do it because he will do something. But time. And now, slowly but surely, it's become identifiable. The people have taken up lifestyles that they would have never taken up before had they continued following God. Doing things that they would have never done. And it just breaks your heart, especially as a pastor. These are people that you've invested in. These are people that you've spent time with. These are people that you've worked alongside with. 
And to see them doing things that three years ago, four years ago, you would have never touched. You wouldn't have been around people that did that. One girl has such a high standard for, for, uh, for a husband. Such a high standard. You almost wonder if she was ever going to get married because her standards were so high, but she knew what she wanted. Serving God with all her heart. And now today, Instagram pictures of her and her boyfriend with alcohol and, and beer in their photographs. Something that is just incomprehensible has become identifiable. Why? Because we didn't stay near the truth. We're now living a lie and believing the lie as truth. See, that's what the enemy does, is the enemy gets you bound by getting you blind. If he can close your eyes to that lifestyle and say, it's not wrong, it's okay, God will still love you, And he blinds your eyes to it. And now you're bound to it. Because what you become blind to, you become bound to. There's no direction. You can't find your way out of it. You think that is how it's supposed to be. You think that is okay. And it's not. The word would clearly define that. But we've gotten away from the word. Over in Romans chapter 1, Paul said that they saw the truth, but they would rather believe a lie. We've got to be a people. We've got to be his church. And his church identifies lies with truth, speaking the truth in love, and wants to see people corrected, wants to see people changed, wants to see people come out of bondage and captivity. That is our job. That is our assignment. Here's what you're doing here. When we meet here and when we assemble here, you're learning truth. You're gaining truth. I hope every Sunday and every Wednesday you're learning a new piece of truth, a new item of truth that is getting me out of bondage, getting me out of captivity so I can now go and change my world. But darkness doesn't change darkness. Lies don't change lies. Hurt people hurt people. Deceive people deceive people. People that are living a lie get people caught up in living more lies. No, we've got to be identifiers of truth. We've got to recognize truth. When we recognize truth, we can help identify truth in other people. The more truth we gain, the more truth we allow to permeate our lives, the more truth we allow to set us free, now we can go and help other people. Look, this, this, this Christian life, this church life, is not a life about you. Jesus came as a king, but he said, I've come not to be served, but to serve. 
We've got to be identifiers of truth. We've got to help people see what truth looks like, what lies look like, and say, look, you're living a lie. That lie will kill you. That lie will destroy you. There were lies in my life that I was living. And thank God people confronted those lies and showed me the truth so I could get free from it, that I wasn't bound and held captive to it. If someone identifies a lie in your life, don't get angry, don't get offended, don't get upset. Uh, Receive the truth, live the truth, be excited. The truth has come, and now I don't have to walk into the road with busy traffic. I can turn around and go the right way. We've got to be able to identify that. We've got to be able to help people find the truth and the lie. See, look, the lie they're believing, there's a truth in it. The lie of homosexuality, there's a truth in it. God did ordain marriage. God did ordain sexual relationships. But with the right people, at the right time, there's an order. There's a system. But the enemy has taken a a truth and perverted it and twisted it. It said, no, you can, you can be in love with whoever you want to be in love with. You can be married to whoever you want to be married to. You can have sex with whoever you want to have sex with. Anytime, any place, anywhere. That's a lie. There's a truth. The church has to be able to identify the truth. As we learn to identify truth, what happens is the light shows up, people receive sight, the scales fall off. Now, it's their responsibility, I'll tell you right now. It is not the church's responsibility to get people saved. That's their responsibility. Why do I say that? Because you can carry the weight sometimes, and I know I have, with people that I've spent time with, believers and unbelievers. You want to see them come out of a lie, but sometimes it doesn't always work. And I've had to learn that they have, that there is someone else in the world that's identifying that lie and identifying that sin, and that's the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John chapter 16, the Holy Spirit will come and he will convict the world of their sin. What is he saying? He will identify the lie and bring them truth. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. The weight's not on me, man. I've done my part. I've planted the seed. But I don't walk away feeling, man, I'm just a loser, man. I couldn't get them saved. I couldn't get them born again. I couldn't get that person to turn from their ways. No, that's not my responsibility. There's somebody else that died on the cross to get them out of hell. There's someone else that died on the cross so they didn't have to live that way anymore. There's someone else that's given them grace and mercy so they can come out of that bondage and out of that captivity. I'm a messenger. I'm an identifier. Oh, don't judge me. I'm not judging you. I'm not condemning you. I'm identifying. Remember Jesus with the adulterous woman 
The Pharisees dragged her out. She was caught in the act of committing adultery. The Pharisees drag her out. They've all got rocks in their hands. And Jesus happened to be sitting there. And they're ready to stone this woman for the act that just took place. Was she wrong? Yep. She's caught in the act, man. She's probably brought out here uh, buck naked. Just to put it plainly. Ready to go, man. And they're trying to trick Jesus. And Jesus writes in the sand, doesn't really respond very quickly. And finally he says, he who has never sinned, you cast the first stone. And one by one they drop the rocks. One by one they walk away. And Jesus stands up and goes to the woman and says, where are your accusers? And then he says, I don't accuse you either. I don't condemn you either. But did he say, go and do whatever you want? He said, go and sin no more. He identified, you're living a lie. I'm not here to accuse you. Not even here to condemn you. My father didn't send me to condemn the world, but to save it. He hadn't even died on the cross yet. He hadn't even shed his blood yet. He hadn't even been beaten and hung. Yet he looks at this woman and says, go and sin no more. That's the purpose of the church. Hey, you're living a lie. This will kill you. This will kill your marriage. This will kill your home. This will destroy your career. This will destroy your life, your purpose, your destiny. It may not kill you and put you in the grave immediately, but it's destroying something. Go and sin no more. Here's the truth. Let it reveal and identify a lot and let it change your course of action. Amen. Father, we thank you this morning that you have called us into this earth.